You're listening to The Private Citizen Defending Your Right to Have Something to Hide. This is episode 91 for Wednesday, the 20th of October 2021. A not-so-modern solution. Hey everybody, my name is Fab. I'm coming to you live from the city of Düsseldorf in Nordrhein-Westfalia in, in West Germany uh, with uh, somewhat of a special... Well, it's a... I was going to do another topic, not that you really... Well, I blogged about it, but not that you would know. Um, but I, uh, I, I rescheduled. Um, that's going to be another... You know, I'm going to keep promising these special episodes. And I do them from time to time. So I'm going to, I'm going to push that topic back to tonight, today, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. Um, it's, it's night for me. Uh, we're going to talk about a company called Modern Solution in Germany. And uh, their approach to a uh, somewhat uh, inadvertent security researcher who disclosed a pretty, uh, well, the, the, kind of like a vulnerability in their software and like a data leak. But um, wait till you will till I explain to you what the actual vulnerability was, because you will, you know, you'll be picking up your jaw from the floor. And also the direct reaction to it, which is the most important thing. Um, I thought, you know, I tried to, this is obviously an international podcast, I tried to pick topics that, obviously, I'm in Germany, so German stuff comes up, but whenever I talk about German stuff, I want it to be like, you know, to apply to pretty much every anybody, really. Uh, and I think this is this is important enough, or also interesting enough, uh, for anybody to, you know, if you're in another country, um, there, there's some, to you know, to learn about this, there's some sp specific German laws that are involved um, and you might not have them in the U.S. or whatever. You know, some people listening from Russia, from China. Um, so, you know, there, there'll be some differences. But the general approach of companies towards security researchers, um, obviously I've been doing, writing about IT security for about like, I don't know, six, seven years now. Um, is, um, you know, it's pretty universal and it's it's not getting better. Um, I, I don't know, I can't remember. I read this, like I wrote about this stuff quite quite a lot recently and uh, I read there's some studies um, you know there have been some high profile cases and there have been like recently there's been this um, there's like an industry organization that like um, it's like a, um, a yeah, kind of like a yeah, an industry organization of, of independent security researchers in Paris and they've basically um, at a recent meeting asked like security researchers you know what's, what, the, what the problems are there are um, facing and a lot of them said, "Well, we've been like we disclosed a vulnerability, and then we've been threatened with lawsuits." And that that surprised the organizers, where they thought, "I thought this, you know, this was like a thing that would happen like 10, 15 years ago, maybe." And then a lot of companies, I think uh, Microsoft famously uh, was very early with this. You know, I was a Katie Masuris who started with this kind of stuff, you know, outreach to the community and, you know, stopped doing this thing. Like, you know, you disclose security, security vulnerability, the next thing you get is like a cease and desist letter and they're threatening you with lawsuits and, you know, um, attorneys and stuff like that. And that's not how it should happen. And I guess these these people who were organizing this meeting were, were thinking, oh, we kind of, you know, we thought that was over, but it isn't. So what they actually did is like they created this international coalition. They basically want to have lobbyists in like, you know, starting in Europe, but like in, in parliaments and in, you know, where lawmakers are and basically lobbying them to have laws that are more friendly to security researchers. And as you will be able to uh, tell later on, uh, we certainly could do with that in Germany because we have some very unfriendly laws. Uh, we have the famous hacker paragraph, which I think I've mentioned before on the show, probably have. Um, 
but I'm gonna I'm gonna go into that anyway. That's that's the that's the topic. Um, I really originally was gonna talk about this paper by a lot of uh, security uh, and privacy uh, experts talking about how these side channel attacks on um, you know when you have end to end encrypted communication. We talked about this on the show previously as well. The best way to get around that is like you know have it you have it decrypted on the device so you can basically get access to it there. Um, and, you know, Apple was talking about looking through photos before they get encrypted, um, you know, of course, to find evil child porn. Um, but th- this is now security researchers uh, saying why that why that is bad. And I'm going to get to that. That's going to be the next episode. Um, yeah, but I thought this topic was kind of uh, timely enough. I've just, uh, you know, written about this yesterday and today. So it's fresh in my mind. So I thought I might as well uh, do this episode. So without further ado, uh, why don't we... Uh, <laughs> As as Pestley, uh, a, a game streamer I like to watch, uh, plays a lot of Escape from Tarkov, likes to say, let's crack straight into it. Right, so when we talk about this topic, there are two basically disasters that happened here. Uh, there was an initial, I would like to call it the coding debacle, and then there was a PR debacle. So let's start with the coding problem. Let's start with what happened. So, um, or maybe I'm quickly going to tell you how I came about this story. Um, so earlier this week, um, I was tasked, you know, uh, as you might know, I'm a freelance journalist. I was tasked with Heiser, who I used to work for, and I still write for them once in a while, um, to research a story that uh, colleagues at the German tech site called Golem, which I've written for as well, um, a colleague there had written a story about a security researcher who had uh, was raided uh, at his home and had his like oh, basically well a programmer kind of inadvertent security researcher but you know I'm going to call him a security researcher when I say that I don't mean like he's working at a university but you know he's a guy a hacker you could say but that has negative connotations so these days we say security researchers right so you know it's just some guy who looked into a vulner- security vulnerability Anyway, uh, so so you know he was his house was raided and there was a story about that. Um, so I researched it. Um, I talked to some people, talked to sources, talked to the police. I talked to the uh, state attorney uh, in Cologne, and um, I wrote a story about it, which had a lot of, well, which was the factual story. But then you know, as we and I'm sometimes apt to do, and I like to do this in stories, and. Um, when I was at Heiser, especially at Heiser Security, there is a thing where we where we or we did used to do that, and my colleagues still there still do it, where you write a factual news story and then you put your own, put some opinion in there as well at the end generally, um, because you know I believe in that very much. Uh, I've talked about journalism a lot in the show. Uh, I think it's you're not objective, you're trying to be objective, but there's always your own opinion, and I like to be forward with that. And when a story makes me angry. Um, I like to kind of talk about that. Anyway, um, a lot of that was edited out of the story, which I was originally a bit mad about. Um, I just just generally mad. I, li- I actually like the guy who edited very much, so I don't you know I don't blame him at all. And I was thinking about it. I was driving home uh, last night. I was spent some time with my grandma uh, playing playing <laughs> games last night. And so I'm driving home and I'm thinking about this, uh, thinking about being mad. And I'm like, he did the right thing, right? So he made this new story more factual, which is a good thing. 
And then I thought, why, you know, I should write an op-ed. And why didn't I do that from the beginning? You know, why didn't I immediately pitch them an op-ed as well? So um, I actually thought, yes, yeah, let's pitch them an op-ed. And I did that. And I wrote an op-ed and that got published today as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about all of this while I'm, you know, while, while I'm doing the show. Um, now, I wrote this op-ed because the story made me very angry. And I'm going to get into that as well. Um, but to get to what actually happened, uh, we need to have some ba- uh, some 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 background information. Um, so originally, there was a story published in June, um, which was also uh, in Golem. Heiser wrote about it. Uh, Der Spiegel wrote about it. And so here's what happened. So in June, uh, some independent programmer who, um, uh, well, that's 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 what he says. Um, there's always a thing of he says, she says. You know, that the company is something else. Um, but my story is largely based on um, the testimony of this guy and the blogger, um, largely because the company wouldn't talk to me, <laughs> you know, which often tells you, um, you know, that they either don't have anything to say or that, you know, whatever they want they have to say is not very flattering to them. And I kind of, you know, you, you, we're going to get into this. I'm going to go into some background and story and you realize why I kind of believe the guy. Anyway, so this programmer, an independent kind of freelancer, um, was working with the retailer. Um, and he was, you know, he was tasked to uh, debug a software by a German company from Gelsenkirchen, which is close to here. Gelsenkirchen, by the way, um, has a very famous suburb called Schalke. Um, that is where the FC Schalke is uh, is from. Um, so you know, in the rural areas, very close to where I'm where I'm born, and relatively close to where I'm right now in Düsseldorf. Anyway, so there's a company there called Modern Solution. Now, this is funny because, as you will see, the solutions they're doing this is where the show title obviously comes from. They are anything but modern, but we'll get to that later. Anyway, this is a company called Modern Solution. They make this software, right? And what they do is um, so Germany has lots of online retailers, right? Online marketplaces. Um, in Germany, they're called Otto, Kaufland, Check24, Check24. Um, and what they do is basically uh, they, I think, copied a model that Amazon, I think Amazon pioneered this. You know, at some point, Amazon went like, hey, we could have independent retailers put stuff on our marketplace, which we don't have, you know, we, we can't, we don't sell. And then our marketplace gets bigger, right? We have, there's additional goods on there. People will still use Amazon and we'll get a commission. And so they allow people to sell their stuff. And everybody knows this now, right? On Amazon, you actually have to be careful these days that you're not buying from, like, some Chinese. Not that I'm, you know, prejudiced against Chinese. It just it takes, like, six months, uh, six weeks for the stuff to get here because it gets there by boat or something, you know? Um, so in these German um, market, you know, the big, big online retailers made, did the same thing. So they, they opened, like, marketplaces. So if you're in retail in Germany... Like you have a small company, let's say you sell, sell stationery, right? And you want to be on uh, Kaufland, then, then you can do that. They have like an API, whatever. You can have a partner. You probably have a partner agreement or whatever. And basically people can more easily find your stuff online. And then, you know, you can you can sell more stuff. And because all of these, these shops have all their different APIs, like if you're just a small retailer, like you won't be doing, like you have a corner store, right? That's where you're st- selling stationery. You didn't get into this because you know, like server-side back-end programming. Um, so you can hire uh, or you can you can buy software from a company. Um, one of those companies is Modern Solution. 
um, where you know they give you a, a software, and what that does is it talks to on your end with um, your inventory management and whatever customer relations, whatever you have, like your software, and then those all those marketplaces, right? So you can go and list on several, um, and this software takes care of all of that. And so what you know, you you put in what you want to sell that gets listed on the marketplace with you know the data, the description, everything, and if somebody buys it. You know, so they are a customer with, let's say, Otto, right? And uh, so, so they, they Otto has their um, payment and when they're in from every, all of the information. Now, if they buy from you, Otto needs to send that to you, right? That gets sent over whatever the API to your software because you need to kind of, you know, at least need the address, whatever. You need to ship it to the guy. And in some places, you might also need, like, their um, payment information, right? So um, so basically, companies like Modern Solution are, uh, you could say, a middleman, right? They offer this, um, you pay them, and they offer to make this stuff for you, e make this easier for you. Um, now, the problem is, this, this programmer was like, oh, this software isn't working, like, what's going on? So um, what he says is what happened. Um, so he does, you know, what I when I worked in IT support, this is what you do. You have a problem with the software. You don't know really what it does. You you put your laptop in the network, right? You open a Wireshark and you go like, let's let's see what's going on. Like this software is some for some reason not communicating correctly. Let's see what happens. And he looks and he goes, this is weird. You know, I do something in the software. And it's not emitting any packets. It's not it's not doing anything. Like how is this working? And he goes, oh, well, I guess I have this HTTP filter on. Maybe it's not communicate, you know, what else? I mean, you know, these days, anything like this, you'd have like a REST API, right? Um, you'd, you'd think it'd be HTTP, but he's like, let's turn that off. And so what he notices it is um, this software is actually communicating via SQL, which if you're really old school, you know that, you know, I think originally SQL was designed for this. You know, you could have a database on the network and then you could have clients and then you could send SQL over the network. Nobody does this <laughs> because it's fucking dangerous. <laughs> it's SQL, right? Uh, it's not encrypted. It's just like it doesn't. It, it's not really secure. It's like you have direct access to the database. What you do these days is, yeah, of course, you have a server with the database, but you put like a, an API in front of that that has access controls and rights management, right? So that not anybody can just do anything on that database. If you just give them direct SQL access, they can just presumably go, you know, drop table, little bobby tables, and like your whole data is gone. But apparently that's what these guys did. And not only like on a network, on a local network, no. So you're at this retailer, you run the software, uh, probably installed on a server somewhere, um, and this talks over the internet, right? Get this, it talks over the internet with a server at Modern Solution, Modern Modern Solution, yeah, um, and, uh, and 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 does stuff. So that's that's how they send data back and forth, like and like unencrypted SQL com commands to a, a remote server. So at this point, you're already going like if you know anything about like IT or whatever, you're going what the fuck. Like, what the hell's going on? That's probably what the guys thought. But it gets worse. Um, not only did they do it that way, you know, with questionable, really no access controls, um, they also used the same credentials, so the same username and password for everybody. So each of their customers 
um, and we're talking the retailers here, right, had the same account, right? And they had the same username and password sent over clear text. Like even if it gets encrypted over the internet because you're TLSing it or whatever, you can just look in your own network traffic and get the username and password. What that means is you can just take an SQL client, connect to the server that is publicly accessible on the internet, take the credentials that you've um, caught with Wireshark on your network because they're unencrypted, put them in and then see the database, the database that all the information is in from all these retailers, everything. Like, you know, the inventory, what people are selling, what they're buying, uh, the, the customers, all the customer data, like their addresses, uh, payment details in many uh, instances, uh, email addresses, everything is, is just in this one database that anybody could have access to. And this was a situation that apparently persisted for years. It's a, we don't know if anybody like, you know, went in there, uh, either criminals or, uh, you know, intelligence services and, and scooped this all up. But it's, it's f f f the first thing I was, when I read this, is like, I thought like it's a major miracle that nobody uh, abused this, like aside from stealing everybody's data, which is bad enough, but just didn't just mess with other people, you know, put orders in, delete other orders, like just basic high school prank shit like this. Is unbelievable. So the security researcher discovers this in the evening and then spends the whole night looking at this shit and figuring out what happened. And he, he like basically figures out that at least 700,000 customers have their data in here and that this was probably accessible for years. There was like not only that data, there was like the ticket system from the company was on this data. Like it was mad. Uh, Astral C in Twitch chat says every layer of this is worse type of anti-security. Yeah, it's literally like I I'm thinking like I did like I'm not a programmer, right? But I did some programming. I did some programming in high school in Australia. I had like, you know, in Australia you can pick whatever you want to do. Um, basically, you can pick all your classes. Um, I think you have to take math and English, but that's about it. And uh, so I did I, I did um, uh, programming, right? Um IT. And that was, you know, I mean, if you, you had to code shit like that, if you literally like, and this was in the year 2000, if I, if, if the, if, if my, and we had like, um, we had like assignments. I remember we did like, uh, we coded a, an airline booking system where you basically, uh, the customer could pick what seat in an airplane they wanted. And we had to have airplane we did like Delphi. This was ball and Delphi back in the day. Like you, you had like you had like a seat plan. We had to do that, and then you know uh, enable people to pick seats, and then you know fill the plane according to how do you do that? Like you can't put out all the people in the back. You're gonna have tail strikes, shit like that, right? We had big assignments like that. Then we had to like we were in groups of I think four and had to do this right and code this. Like if we had that assignment to make this interface. And we'd done it with like SQL over the internet in 2000 in a high school in Australia. I think we would have gotten a fail. I think the teacher would have said, this is, and we didn't like really think about much about security, but this is like obviously a bad idea. Obviously. So it's anything but a modern solution. Um, 
that it's pretty bad. It's like it's you look at this and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It's actually kind of funny. It's one of these stories where it's like it's like it's like a um one of these these like home videos, right? You know, America's funniest home videos where like one thing happened, you're like, I can't believe that just happened and then just like the, one guy's falls and he slides and then he think oh my god he just fell then he slides into a support pillar of something and then the whole thing in the background collect collapses and then i don't know a car drives by gets it but it, it's like that it's like it's it's incredible so this is this is what happened this is what the basically um so I talked about this first story that was published in July, uh, in June. So this is what happened before the first story got published, right? And so you know what the underlying so this this would be bad enough. This would be a story in itself. I mean, we're not a, I mean, yeah, borderline for this podcast. You know, it's privacy related because you know big data leak and shit like that. But you know, it's just an interesting, uh, you know, IT how not to code software problem. That's that's one thing. Right, and this can—I mean, this is incredibly stupid how they did this. Like, incredible, like incredibly stupid. We're, we're talking—we have to, this is 2021, right? We were promised we'll be on Mars by now, and we're, we're still doing this shit. Um, so that's already bad. But now we come to the um, to the next step where it all gets much worse because now, um, oh, I just sorry, I just hit the. The wrong, the wrong button. In case you know, if you're listening to a podcast, nothing happened. Like I hit the wrong, ca- the wrong camera button. I say this happens when you stream stuff live. Anyway, I was gonna, I was gonna play a sting, and I hit the wrong button on my stream. Anyway, now I destroyed my whole smooth radio thing, and of course, I'm not gonna edit this out uh, because you know I like to, I like to keep it real. But anyway, um, yeah. So, so it's, that's bad enough. But now we get to how they handled this publicly and it gets worse it gets worse actually i actually like that camera view, camera review i didn't know i had this setup it's kind of it's kind of cool um yeah so it, it gets even worse so okay so we're talking this guy he found the security vulnerability spends all night he's like you know uh, looking at this shit and he's like, I can't believe this is happening. He doesn't know what to do. So he goes and contacts a blogger who is well, well, relatively well known in this like German e-commerce scene. Uh, and especially with people who uh, do something like this B2B kind of this kind of stuff. Um, and um, so um, the, the blogger goes, uh, well, uh, I think what you should do. Uh, is you should you should contact this company first. Like the blogger was like, I'm happy to write about this. This is horrible, but I think you should contact the company. So this programmer goes and uh, writes an email to this company, and um, they pro- provide them with proof. You know what happens, stuff like that. You know the vulnerability. And this company goes and says basically, I I don't really know what they said. They also didn't tell me, but uh, it, it you know they're kind of uh, according to the other people involved, they they were kind of dismissive and said there's no security vulnerability. Um, we we're not even sure this exists. This this bullshit. So the blogger goes, and also the, he rings up the company and goes, look, I mean you've been contacted by this guy. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to write about this. This is horrible. Uh, please fix the security vulnerability. 
and they do the same thing they go like well there's no security vulnerability um anyway uh terrestrial gym i'm just gonna interrupt myself here terrestrial gym says uh, when i read about it i thought to myself that would have been a case where journalists actually could have helped uh had he told the journalists they could have published it this way they would have protected the identity of the guy and taken uh the heat yeah this i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna address this by the way um what i think about this yes so i think one of the problems is that he contacted this blogger who wasn't i mean he writes a lot about this stuff but i think he uh he seems not to be i don't want to kind of insult the guy because i think he's a, he's a good good guy um, but I think he, you know, he, he didn't handle this as a professional journalist would have done for better or in a worse. I'm going to explain later how, how I would have done this. Anyway, so this blogger uh, goes and contacts them and uh, they, they give him the runaround as well. Um, so at this point, the programmer and the blogger, they're kind of just talking about what, what to do. And, you know, they're, they're in the process of, you know, obviously... Uh, collecting all the data and making sure they can prove uh, that this really happens. So what they notice what happens is the server uh, vanishes off the internet. So the company obviously knew exactly what was the problem and decided to, because obviously there was a data leak and they were suddenly, oh shit, now people know about it. Or they were, maybe they were so incompetent that they didn't realize until they got told um, and, you know, had a weird response to it. But, you know, they, they turned the server off. Um, now the blogger and the security researcher go, well, you know, now the vulnerability doesn't exist anymore, right? So now we can go public. Uh, this is generally what's called um, in IT security a um, ethical or responsible responsible disclosure. Um, you tell somebody that they have a security vulnerability, you wait for them to fix it, and then you go public. You do this because if you go public before it's fixed, Obviously, bad guys can exploit the security vulnerability. Um, now, what they did is the blogger went once again, apparently, and uh, contacted the company once again and said, I'm going to go live with this. I'm going to write about this. Um, and they didn't really um, react, right? So we're talking, the guy discovers it like eight, 8 at night, spends the whole night looking at this, contacts the blogger in the morning. The blogger contacts... Um, the company or they both contact the company at like eight o'clock in the morning, you know, when business starts and this story gets published shortly after 1 PM. Right. So this is not even 24 hours between discovering the vulnerability and, and going public and especially telling the company. Usually you don't do that. That, that was, um, questionable. I, I would say you could, you, you could argue, Argue, argue that is uh, that you know that is a questionable thing to do. Um, I would have waited and give even if the vulnerability is gone, you know, just give the company a bit more time, give them a day or two. But you know, you can argue about how how well they did this, but at the end of the day, technically, it was an ethical disclosure. You know, the problem was fixed by the time they went public with this. And I think also ethically and morally, it was done in good faith. I mean, they both of them say they did this because, you know, they wanted to tell 700,000 people had their data possibly exposed years ago, possibly. So they wanted to tell the public as soon as possible. And I understand that. And they also have the argument that after contacting the company, they basically told them to fuck off. 
they basically told them no you know there's no vulnerability or we don't know but you know they weren't engaging with the security researcher for better or worse or and the press as in the blogger uh, in a constructive way and it didn't look like there was anything constructive forthcoming so i understand the impulse of going live i wouldn't you know as a journalist at that point you like you have an exclusive story and you have time and i've been in this position before I've, i've done this very thing and you have time because there's nobody who knows about it i mean you can give it a week or two um the only thing you have to worry about is that the company gets out a press release and kind of then everybody knows about it um so pro tip here if you want to be a journalist and want to do this thing what you do is you write your story and you sit on it and you watch this company very carefully you give them some time usually you talk to them you know usually they're a bit more responsive um and uh, you watch them and should they publish a press release you will still scoop everybody because your your story is written you just need to push a button and it's out so that's a little trick you do also since uh since jim talked about this um yes so um this is here here's how i would have done this and this is why i um generally i tell security researchers if you have something like this you you know you you get nowhere and you don't know what to do uh go to a journalist you trust uh go to the press uh because I mean, of course, I'm a journalist. I want people to go to the press, but also they can protect you. Right? How I would have done this, I would have told the security researcher, do not contact them. I will contact them in your name. Give me the information. I'll make sure. I promise you, you'll get the credit. And if you want to, I can also name you, but I would not recommend this. Um, I can always name you afterwards and we can prove that you originally discovered this. But what we want to do is to insulate you from this company because if they do, if they if they have this knee-jerk reaction where they go, we're going to sue you, um, they're going to have to go through me. And I, it depends on what country you're in, but in Germany, we're very um, lucky that... Um, so if, if, let's say, let's say somebody does something illegal then goes to the press and the press goes somewhere and the police goes to the journalist and says we want to know who this guy was um you like legally you must probably tell the police or you can come into a situation where you tell the police have to tell the police but courts have consistently upheld because of freedom of press that's enshrined in the in our constitution and i think it's probably the same in the u.s um that you would be off like this might come to like to court and the the judge would probably say you know um like if we compel this journalist to tell the police who this guy was yes it'll solve this situation but that will mean that nobody like the press can't do their job as in you know the job they need to do in society um because you know sources won't come to them right so so for me as a journalist my one of my highest standards was always um you know, source keeping sources secure. Um, I believe if you're a journalist, you have to be prepared to literally go to jail uh, before telling somebody who your source was, because otherwise, otherwise you can't do any like serious reporting, right? And I mean, there's one thing if it's IT security, but you know, if you're reporting on on crime or something like that, right? This could be like um, this is a, this is a, it's a very important tent, I think, and I think. Um, generally, you should go like if you have a journalist that you trust, they can do this. They can they can report this. Um, they can make sure you get the credit, but they can also insulate you from anything 
you know the the other side might want to do and one of the tricks they might want to do i mean they can play dirty right they can so the problem is uh, in german uh, in germany we have like and this is the case in many other countries um we have a law that says i mean there's this very famous we call it the hacker paragraph uh, it's article 202 of the strafgesetzbuch or as we call it SD, sdgb um the um the you know the criminal code that has some addendums that were passed uh, some time ago and, and and these are basically what they say is that if you get access to if you go and access a computer system you're not supposed to access especially if you circumvent any kind of access control um, then that is illegal and you can go to jail for two years for that uh, and I've talked about this before because this is a problem for journalists because let's say I'm I'm if I'm a journalist and I, I do IT security stories and some security researcher goes to me and says, I found this really big security vulnerability in this big website and we have to tell the world um, what you do as a journalist. You have to verify that that's true, right? And sometimes you can only do that by accessing those systems, in which case you're actually committing a crime. Now, if you're a journalist and this ever comes to court, there's a good chance, especially at least in Germany, that the judge would say, well, he obviously did this, didn't do this to harm society. He did this to do something good for society. He wanted to make sure that the story was true. Um, so, you know, there is a, uh, a a letter of the law versus spirit of the law thing. And in, in Germany, you can say many things about Germany but our legal or, and our legal system, but I generally believe in that we have good judges and, and, and most of the judges in that case, I think would say, look, the spirit of the law is more important here than the letter of the law. Um, now, but, but, you know, because there is this, you know, this, this crime that you commit if you do this, and as a security researcher, you obviously sometimes do this as well, um, you can get, um, you know, you, you can get in trouble with the police. And this is exactly what happened in this case. So, this guy disclosed the vulnerability. We're talking this this day this original story was published was the 23rd of June. Um, now, on the 15th of September, in the morning, this security researcher, um, this is what he says happened, and I can verify that he was raided by the police. Um, I verified that with the police and the um, state attorney. Um, so, um, But he says it happened like this way, which is kind of a funny story. Well, funny unless it happens to you. Um, his doorbell rings and people say there's some people there saying we we want to well, a guy i want to deliver a package to your neighbor right so he lets them in buzzes him in the house goes to his door the guy goes are you mr mr shasha he says yes the next thing he knows he's pressed against the wall and they're searching his home um so they raided him and they seized a desktop computer five laptops a smartphone uh, and five external storage devices. So every everything he had, like all his gear, any equipment he had to do his job. Now, he's not being indicted yet. He's just like somebody, somebody, we don't know who, I, like the police and the state attorney wouldn't tell me. Um, somebody tipped off the police to this, that, you know, he committed a crime. Um, they got a judge to sign a warrant and they searched his place and seized his stuff. He's not been indicted because the police is still analyzing the gear. But that means he's ha he doesn't have his gear. Sometimes this takes like a year, right? So this means when that happens to you, so this is this is something somebody can use against you, 
right? Understand this. Um, it doesn't matter if he gets indicted, even if he gets indicted and it comes to, uh, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a suit, uh, there's, you know, it's been, it's, it will be evaluated in court, you know, there's a judge, even if he wins, the fact that, you know, if you're a freelancer and somebody goes and takes all your computers away, like for a year or half a year, that's already hurting you. So, um, you know, that is, um, that is some of the dirty tactics I mentioned that, you know, uh, people can do if they kind of want to, I feel like, I feel like he's being punished. To me, this looks like somebody wants to punish this guy for what he did. Um, I, I personally think he will not be indicted, but we'll get, we'll get into that later. Um, so the original, original story that, that happened last week that I was tasked in, uh, researching was was the was a golem story uh, on golem de uh, which is an it news site uh, about this raid right they 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 had they were the first to report this raid in the mainstream or in the you know uh, this original blogger wrote about it but uh, you know i certainly didn't know about it i, I know otherwise i would have would have written about this as well anyway um so it looks very much to me it it looks like to me it looks like somebody from let's say the modern solution corner you know somebody on that side of the equation um is trying to use the state and its power of you know entering your 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 sacred uh place of where you live which is constitutional protected generally if you don't have a court a warrant from a judge and you know the power of seizure uh, to like you know basically do their dirty work and punish this guy um, who is he basically he's a whistleblower right to all intents and purposes he is a whistleblower and that in itself is very dangerous this is why i'm talking about this on the show because this is kind of the thing that it that's that i think concerns everybody um because if they're raiding security researchers and it doesn't matter you know if the guy is like making his living being a security researcher or he's just a programmer who found this and wanted to inform the public for the betterment of everybody um if they're raiding these guys the next thing they'll be raiding the journalists covering the story i.e me and that of, of course concerns me but it should concern everybody because that means that companies um who fucked up who've treated your data horribly and who've been neg negligent in their uh, you know uh, in their responsibilities uh, to basically cover it up with tactics like this. Um, you know, and, and all of this just because they can't fucking fess up. Of course, it's going to have con consequences, right? They fucked up. It's a big thing. It's got probably going to be GDPR relevant. They're going to get, you know, they're probably going to get fined quite heftily for this. Um, and to cover all of this up, it seems to me somebody is doing this now um and so i write about this and this, this is this great story so it gets even better so i write about this and uh you know heiser has this uh, these very famous forums right so there's a i like writing for heiser for one reason if you're it guy in germany uh heiser is read by everybody um there's a bit of a difference between a story being on golem and being on heiser d right heiser d like literally um, I've got people, I had people from the, uh, uh, the Bundesamt für Sicherheit in der Informationstechnik, BSE, the federal office for IT security in Germany, 
um, come up to me at security conferences and recognize me because they know I, they know stories I wrote. So th this actually moves things. Like if you write about this, people read it. Um, and Heise has a famous forum um, that is famously no holds barred. Uh, some editors at Heise are somewhat afraid of the forum. I've always liked it. Um, I, you know, me, I take, like taking my gloves off once in a while. Um, so we had a guy at this forum today. So I published a story yesterday and then the, the people were commenting about this. And, and today somebody alerts me to the fact that a guy who, to me, I don't know, looks very much like an insider uh, at or around Modern, uh, Modern Solution, knows a lot about what happened there, um, is basically uh, trying to turn the discussion towards this, you know, the way the way this guy disclosed the security vulnerability, which, you know, I had already said, you know, it's, it's questionable. It's probably not how you should do this, you know, and then he was uh, talking a lot about that. And then um, I talked about that um, <laughs> uh, retro game. I do me. Hello, by the way. Um, uh, thanks for watching uh, on on Twitch. Uh, says forum was a wild ride today under that article. Yes, uh, I have I have a history of doing that sometimes. <laughs> Even when I was, when I was working at Highside, that 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 would happen more often. Um, yeah, I wrote for them uh, exclusively, obviously back then. Um, so uh, yeah, so so I don't know. Uh, it looked like to me this guy was turning uh, this discussion in that direction, and I was like, I, I was not having it. I was replying. Uh, and then he started um, arguing about me because I only given the company 24 hours time to reply, which is a lot of time in online journalism. Usually I give people eight hours. Uh, we're also talking about a story that wasn't you. This was uh, Golem already broke this five days before. All the technical facts were published since June. Right? The rate was in September. How much time do they need? And then they start arguing with me. So I wrote, I wrote them an email. So in Germany, you have a thing called Impressum, which is the masthead of any website by law is required to have that. And you have to have contact information. Uh, this is what lawyers will also use to contact you. Um, and they had an email address on there and I wrote to that. And I got an automatic reply from a ticketing system, got a support ticket, and then nothing. So I knew they received my email. You know, I basically explained... I'm researching the story. I point to the Golem story as I'm researching this. Um, what's your stand on this? Uh, stance on this? And they never replied. And then you know, guys arguing with me, should I have, have phoned them or whatever? And um, at this point, I had already written my my op-ed. The op-ed was already with Pfizer and ready to get published. Um, but it made me even more mad because I feel like this is somebody from a company or close to the company. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Like I, I literally said, I said in the forum, dude, you shouldn't be worrying about any disclosure timelines. You shouldn't be worrying about how much time the press gave you. You should be worrying about, you know, apologizing to 700,000 people whose fucking personal details, including bank details, home address, everything you put on the internet and put there for anybody to see for years. Um, you should look at this guy who... In, in the interest of the public, disclosed this, ethically disclosed this. Okay, they, you know, could have done it better, but the guy is not a security researcher. He's just a programmer, right? Uh, you know, he did he did everything he could do. He did pretty much right. He, you know, messed up some of the details. You're worrying about that. You should be fucking, this guy might go to jail. He might go to jail for two years. Well, it's not going to happen, but, you know, 
that's that's what I don't know who tipped off the police, but whoever did that, those are the bad guys. Those are the guys that are doing things that are not in our interest, in the interest of the public. And you're going around like complaining about that guy and complaining about the press doing its fucking. I'm I'm usually not a guy, you know. I'm I hate journalists who are like, oh, you did something against the journalists. Now it's personal. You know, I'm usually not that. But let's face it. One of the reasons I'm doing this job is because I think I'm actually doing something good. I mean, I also have a huge ego, and I get to—I like to get into fights with people. It's a given. Uh, but you know, I also think this as a net thing. My life—I I hope to think at the end of it, I did something good for society. That's why I'm doing these things. Um, you know, and 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 you're you're not if you, if you're writing software where you fucking SQL contacting some in server over the internet like publicly in plain text and you're like putting people's personal information on there despite us having laws now for like years that clearly tell you that this shit shouldn't be done like then then you're um people like that make me very angry i i, I would say like if also like people at this company who like clearly fucked up who did something anybody can make mistakes Right, I make mistakes all the time. Everybody makes mistakes. That's not the problem. That's really not the problem. You can do some shitty code. There's, you know, I have friends and I talk to people because of my job who are like, um, uh, you know, consultants and companies, security consultants, tech consultants, whatever. And they see shit every day. Like people do this shit. They just like code something together. It's like held together with string and fucking gaffer tape. And it's like in production for 10 years. And it's horrible. Everybody does this. That's, you know, all of that. Yes, it shouldn't be done. It happens. It ha that, that's not what makes me angry. That's not what makes me hate you. And I don't use that term lightly. What makes me fucking hate you is if somebody goes to the public because you're not... Like, first of all, somebody contacts you and you're not humble as shit and going, yeah, sorry, we did, we did bad here. Um, let's give you $5,000 and a nice shirt, right? No, no, no. What you're doing is you're like, you're, you're saying this never happened. You're trying to do shit there's people suddenly you know sending the police over so doors get kicked in like that makes me fucking angry and that's why i had to write an op-ed because what also makes me angry is kind of through this stupid law in germany what we're kind of doing is we're making the state uh this the state the police so i don't blame the police right the police has to like the police the the, the state attorney says uh, law, uh, crimes being committed, you have to do this. You have to ra raid this place. The police, I don't, you know, they have to do their job. I have a little bit of an issue maybe with the state attorney who should have seen that maybe, like, my question that the state attorney didn't answer was, um, why do you need to go there and search for evidence? Like, what evidence do you need? All of the technical information of this has, have been, has been published since June. All of this has been published, right? And if you wanted the raw data, you could have gone to the guy and said, look, we're investigating this company. Give us the... The, the guy would have given you the fucking data. Pro I, I mean, I'm pretty sure he would. I would have. I mean, what... You know, what, what are you investigating there? You should like you shouldn't bust people's like. Why did you get a judge? Why did the judge sign up? The judge probably was uh, was not well informed, I would guess. Um, but you know, who knows? But like that—that's what makes me angry. Um, that makes me really, really angry. And I think, 
in this case, the state attorney would do well to like drop this whole investigation as soon as possible, give the guy's gear back, and then turn around and fucking investigate Modern Solution, this dumb fucking company with the dumb fucking name, uh, who, I mean, this is what they did. It's almost like there's no law against this, but it's almost criminal. Well, there probably is with the GDPR. It's criminally incompetent. It's like, it's it's horrible. Um, it, sh it shouldn't fucking be like that. Like, what the fuck? That's the people you should be investigating. And I mean, there will, there will be consequences. I'm pretty sure there will be GDPR consequences, but you know. It's it's not it's not as bad as consequences as you know you'd have like you know you you're facing jail time or something like this guy possibly I think this won't happen um, there was another high, very high profile case uh, in August I think you know I, I think I was on a bike holiday I missed all of this but there was the CDU you know we had a big election I talked about it on the early episode and the CDU the Christian Democrat Union uh, party had an app. Uh, for people who do like grassroots, you know, go to door, you know, go from door to door, canvas the neighborhood, you know, uh, ring on your door and say, please vote for the Christian Democrats. Those guys, they had an app to basically uh, mark down, I think, what house they visited, whatever. Um, and there was a, a independent security researcher. She looked into this app and it was horrible. Like she disclosed a vulnerability um, pretty much similarly to this guy. Um, not as quick, but like, so CDU and I think the company developed the app was like mad at her and um, she actually got like um, she got also um, the police got tipped off against her and she actually got indicted um, but when when the CDU said went to the police and that she should be investigated uh, she made that public and then there was a huge shitstorm on Twitter in this case I think very justified and a lot of political pressure and CDU actually went uh, we would like to retract this tip. Now, the problem is that's not how it works. Uh, so if you tip off the police, they have to investigate. You can't just say, oh, I changed my mind. That doesn't, that's not how it works in Germany. Like, the, and it, once you kick it off, the state has to do an investigation, right? Um, but, you know, they, so they couldn't pull that back, but they gave their best to, like, make the indictment go away. And at the end, I think some judge uh, in Berlin, I, I mean, this is pre-trial, this never went to trial, right? But, like, um, no, oh, no, I think the state attorney of Berlin actually uh, folded the case and said, basically, we cannot indict her because she basically got access to the database from this app. And, and they said, we cannot indict her because under this uh, 202 SDGB, the hacker paragraph, um, you'd have to, um, like it says in there that you have to circumvent access controls. But this, this access control was so shit that the data was basically public. So she didn't hack in there. Which is a bit of a strenuous argument, but you know, if you're the state attorney, you can't just overturn the law, right? So I think the law should get overturned. This shitty law should get rid of that. But um, you know, until until we get to that point, um, I think the same applies here. I think you could argue that this, like, if you if you have an app and you put the the credentials in the app so that pretty much anybody, or you can get it off the wire. Pretty much anybody who has the app has the credentials. And then you have the same credentials for everybody who has the app. And I think you could freely download the app off the website as well. You didn't even have to be a customer of this company. Um, I think you could argue that anybody could have just gotten there. And I think you can argue that there's no, there was no access control and that this guy actually didn't hack anything. And if I was the state attorney in Cologne, I would do that. Because this is a fucking PR nightmare. And I can promise you one thing. 
if this fucking thing goes to trial, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be covering this to the very, very end. You know, this will not, this will not go. I, nobody will forget this. this. This is a PR nightmare. I mean, already for a fucking modern solution. Uh, and I think it'll be a PR nightmare for, for you know for the state if they if they actually prosecute that. Um, this is this is this is this is horrible. Um, and we need to we need to get rid of this law. Yeah, and that's basic. That's that's basically it. But in in a wider context, um, it's very worrying that companies keep doing this. And uh, actually, I'm at the end of this uh, segment now, so. I started with some some black tea, but I still have some. What is this? Some nice uh, Spätburgunder, Weingutshof in der Pfalz. Not sponsored by them. I just like them. Been buying wine from them for like twenty years. They're my parents for longer than I'm alive, I think. So um, cheers. I need I need after this I need some wine. I mean, Jesus. The, the problem is that companies do this. Um, it, this is gets actually it's getting more prevalent apparently, and uh, you know in the US generally they they don't have this law, but in the US and the UK they would usually cease and desist you, and then basically you have a big company uh, who has money as lawyers on retainer, and you're just some like independent guy, and you you don't have, you know you don't have uh, an attorney, or you, you can't pay, you can't afford to go into trial with something like this. So I think often people fold. I think we actually, it actually works to like um, cover this shit up because uh, some people will just actually not go to the press. So what I would like to tell you, if you're a security researcher or if you ever find something like this, find a journalist you can trust and contact them. Like the best way would probably to contact them anonymously. Um, I have... Uh, personally, uh, I have a, uh, a whistleblower contact form that, like, if you want me to cover a story like this, if you go, oh, I didn't say this, Private Citizen of Press, the website, that's where all the show notes are, also to this case, if you want to cover it, if you, maybe from the press. Okay, all the links today are in German, I'm sorry. There's just no international coverage about this. Uh, I would provide English links if I could. Um, anyway, there's a contact link at the top, and that has a link to my... Um, secure contact form which is at drop.fab.industries also a blog post that you should probably read because these things there's things you should um, think about before doing this kind of thing um, but you know you don't have to contact me I mean Heise has a contact form I think you know in the UK the Guardian just look for people who use secure drops they generally know what they're doing um, I used to, uh, when I was at Heiser, I, I used to help set up that secure drop system that they have. Um, something like this. And uh, you can always start anonymously. I mean, you can still provide documents and provide the journalist with basically the proof just redacted so that nobody can figure out who you are. And then if you start trusting them, you, you can always go and, you know, reveal more of your identity to the journalist. Just be sure you trust them and that there's somebody who protects you as a source. Um and I mean, you know, aside from being a, a member of the press, I think it's generally a good idea to go to the press because generally, um, I mean, in this case, the company didn't even uh, reply to me. But generally, I, we, I, I, in my career, I've made a, uh, the, um, the, 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 I have the experience that generally, you know, security researcher goes to a company that they don't, they don't um, 
you know they don't even answer they don't care about that but like you know if the press somebody is writing for for a uh, especially an industry publication they know um you know in the uk for example it would be the register if the register knocks on your door um you, you, you generally you listen um and that's maybe what the guy should have done in this case but you know that's that's water on the bridge um i really hope he gets out of this and i think it 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 be very it's very important for our society as a whole um whether it's it security or whatever you know these i've i've done an episode about this before whistleblowers and how they are important uh, in that case i think when whoa what episode was this i looked this up every other episode i should like have a note i mean uh, the website private citizens of press also has an episode list that has all the episodes on it and uh, there are many now because this is tw uh, 91 it's quite a lot um but there's this whistleblower episode which is uh, the importance of whistleblowers that was on 26th of august 2020 wasn't this about oh yeah this was about the military terrorism service in denmark but i also talk about you know why whistleblowers are important stuff like that um you know and we, i mean we obviously have this discussion we have this discussion with assange and snowden um, whether you like the people in general i mean that's the thing i talked about francis haugen in the last episode and you know uh doesn't really matter if you like the person or if you like their message generally we need to understand that these people are important important for society um because otherwise you know companies are just getting too powerful and they they if, if we then if they're not checks and balances if the press is not able to tell these stories and that is that can only happen through insiders through whistleblowers then you know these people will get away with murder basically and we we can't afford that um, anyway, I hope you found that interesting. I hope that was a topic that um, that uh, you, you got something out of. Um, before I'm going to wrap up the show, there's some feedback. I've got a lot of feedback. Um, this is very old feedback, actually. It's it's piling up. It's been piling up. I've been asking for a lot of feedback, um, but actually I've been also sitting on a lot of feedback. Anyway, speaking of that, if you have some feedback, private citizen or press, go to the contact link. You can just write me a plain email if you want, but you can also encrypt it or, you know, use the uh, contact form. And just to make it fitting, this is actually from the, the, the feedback I'm going to talk about now um, is actually from the anonymous uh, contact form. So we have an anonymous listener, and if I... <laughs> when I say that I mean that I have no idea who they are um, just from the general demographic of the show I'm gonna assume it's a guy but who the hell knows um, anyway our anonymous listener uh, says and, and please do that you know provide feedback if you don't agree or if you have a story if you have a story to tell do that as well anyway our anonymous listener says um Every couple of years, I tighten up my privacy and security. Privacy. I was going to say privacy. It's going to be more British on the show. Every couple of years, I, no, that's, that's my American. Every couple of years, I tighten up my privacy and security. It's an ever-evolving battle. Today, I have a custom uBlock origin rule set that exceeds 700 lines and hardened Firefox. I keep up with privacy-specific news that give countermeasures to the new ways it is infringed. I also have a backup strategy where nearly everything is end-to-end -end encrypted, although it doesn't beat a $5 wrench. And this is a um, 
reference to an XKCD, a classic XKCD comic that I've, of course, also linked in the show, uh, which is true. Uh, basically, nothing beats a $5 win. What he means is uh, this is a comic about doesn't matter how good your security is. Um, if you're facing a state opponent, what they're going to do is they're going to put you in a box and they're going to beat you with a $5 wrench until you give them the password. And unless you're Daniel Craig in a James Bond movie uh, who can, for some inexplicable reason, stand his balls being beaten for hours, um, you will give up that um, that um, password. Although, inexplicable reason. Maybe, I mean, I think basically what that... Uh, movie was telling us is that uh, Bond is very into cock and ball torture and I mean no kink shaming and it's handy if you can kind of stand that as a uh, as a as a spy but uh, you know I'd, I'd give up my password I think <laughs> anyway uh, and yet um, our anonymous listener continues and yet I nearly wrote this this from gmail on windows I don't have controversial political opinions and I've never been to been to a protest in the Khmer Rouge state of the Third Reich, I would probably have been a quiet bystander. This is difficult to admit, but it's true. It's the truth that I and my opinions are unre- But it's the truth that I and my opinions are unremarkable, and would never get me persecuted. Um, I believe this applies to most people. My interest in privacy was triggered by insane people on the internet doxing and harassing me not from state persecution. With that in mind, I have been making some compromises. I've started playing games again. I know that you do too. And I wanted to ask what com- compromises you accept in your life, especially as someone who's likely to be targeted by the police and the state. Um, well, so so there's, a, there's an interesting thing that I keep talking about and I think it's very important. Um, when you're trying to defend yourself, uh, the, you know, this this basically um, mixes together privacy and security but um it applies to both it's basically who you're defending against right and you know i i might be targeted as a journalist uh by the police and the state but there's really not anything i can do about that right um i can um and you know i've obviously got everything encrypted um i kind of have to uh, i don't th- i don't think i'm required by law but you know we talked about sources uh, and 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 protecting sources. Obviously, everything I get from source, um, I have to keep at least for a while, um, in, in case I have to prove. Uh, you know, if I wrote a story and I have to prove that that that's w- what happened. Um, so I, I kind of have to protect that to protect the source. Um, but you know, um, my defense against this kind of stuff is not so much a. A technical one than it would be a um a society like not even a legal one because you know i'd basically be hoping that if i ever get indicted for something um that i mean you're not exempt as part of the press you're not exempt from laws but there's generally an understanding that if you do something in the pursuit of your job as a journalist then you other rules apply right then you, sometimes um in the interest of society as a whole, um, you know, a judge would let you off when, you know, just a normal person doing that, uh, they would probably uh, convict of something. Um, so, yeah, that's mostly my defense. I completely understand that if I ever get targeted by, uh, let's say, the interior uh, German uh, 
you know, intelligence service, Verfassungsschutz, for example, you know, there's nothing I can do. You know, there's pretty much like I, I can have this most secure system um, ever, you know, two factor, three factor authentication, everything encrypted, fucking Linux, everything like nailed down. Um, they're they're going to put a guy outside my house in a car who sits there. Then then they watch me for a month. They know exactly when I leave for like grocery shopping. Right. They break into my house. And they put a keylogger under my keyboard, or like like one of these that you put like in the la- in like in your like in the in the adapter or whatever. Like I wouldn't know. Like there's no way I can defend against that. Uh, there's no way you can ever defend against that unless you are yourself like an intelligence agency or something. So you kind of have to you know think about who you're defending against and not go overboard. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this a lot in response to this email. Just don't go insane. With worry, I think that's the that's the key point. Anyway, um, our anonymous listener continues. The obvious example is using Microsoft Windows, and I say this because I know you're full time you. I know you were a full-time Linux user in the past. You also use social media, but of course you need to publish your content and ima- and I imagine you log out of Google after uploading things to YouTube. Okay, let's go into Windows, right? Why am I not worried about using Windows? Because. Uh, you know, let's say we're talking about like my work as a journalist. Like I, I'm not worried about Microsoft um, getting access to that, and that's the thing you'd be worried about because you know they're the like if you use an OS by somebody, you have to trust that company uh, at least some way, right? But like even considering like if you consider Microsoft to be the ultimate evil, which I don't. I think it's especially in the past they were a pretty sleazy company at times, but like, you know, they have shareholders, right? And like, if they actually, if I did some anti-Microsoft reporting, and you know, they used Windows to like get a jump on, you know, know what I'm writing or whatever. Like, if if that ever came out, like the impact of that, like every fucking press outlet, like even if it was me, nobody fucking cares about Fab from Germany. If that happened and I could prove it, every fucking news outlet would be reporting about that for a month all over the world because they'd be like, journalists, we're, we're threatened. Um, so I'm not worried about that. Um, and you and I'm not also, one thing I have to say, and I've been saying this ever since I did podcast. When I was doing Linux podcast, this is what this listener refers to a lot. I think Linux Outlaws I did for years. Um, I always said I'm not like, and I said this when I started the show, and I keep reiterating it. Maybe I could should reiterate this more. I mean, this is a show for for privacy-minded people. It's also about privacy. It's about politics and and civil rights. But I am not like the person this is specific like you, you shouldn't go i should be like i'm not a normal person right like i'm i'm a journalist i live a very very public life right i i blog about my life in a lot of detail um i tweet about it um i'm not worried about that personally but the way i deal with social media and the public is i wouldn't say is not for for the general public like you sh- you shouldn't be doing that like i think very few people uh could stand it um and so 
Yes, I, you know, for example, I, I use Google. We talked about this. I want to do an episode about alternative search engines. The problem is I'm a journalist, right? Like my search engine is my main tool. I'm a IT journalist. I sit in front of my computer. I search things. I, that's how I research things. Like no matter what Google does to ass rape my privacy, I need that to do my job, right? That's like, uh, I don't know, what would be the... Um, equivalent um my I'm, I'm i'm going blank uh you're a pilot and you're like i can't use planes from boeing and airbus i can't fly them there today i don't know like i need i need the search engine and it's much better than all the other ones and there are ways of getting around that and i'm continue i'm always researching that and i will do an episode about this at some point but generally i use google I use YouTube. I don't log out of YouTube. Why would I? Like, what what do I care? Um, saying me personally, like I'm not saying you. Like I, I think the important thing here is you you need to try to understand what is happening. Like, for example, if I'm logging into Google, I know that they're tracking me, and I know what information they have. But it's me. It's Fab. I'm blogging about everything. So let's. So okay. Let an obvious example would be. Google knows more about your health, like for a normal person. And Google knows more about your health than your doctor because anything you have, you Google. And with that, you know, you, they know where you live anyway because, you know, your phone, whatever. But like, they know exactly what kind of illness you probably have before your doctor has that, right? If you're a normal person, that would worry me. If I, you know, if that was the thing I cared about, that would worry me. I'm fab. If I get really sick i'm probably going to blog about this it's going to be on my blog well okay i'm going to have to google it first to find out some information so google knows it a little bit before the world uh before i blog about it <laughs> because that's just what i am that's just how i i am i've ever been i've always been like that i've always had a very good um experience with being very open uh, i've made literally all of my friends on the internet uh me and my wife joke that all my wife's friends uh, are like from work or whatever other place you used to work. All my friends are literally in Copenhagen, Texas, uh, London. Uh, well, London I used to be, but like fucking Leeds or whatever. Uh, you know, some of them I've never met. Uh, and I consider, very, I consider them very good friends because of just, you know, I'm, I've been like this. I've been like, if you listen to all the podcasts I've ever done, you know everything about me. Like, you don't need to fucking track me on the internet. You know what music I like, what cars I like. You, you probably have, me, have heard me talk about what porn I watch at some point. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I'm not, I'm not a normal person. Anyway, let's continue with um, this anonymous listener. So my question is, how do you perceive your compromises? And have you seen your stance change with time? I used to watch a guy called Brian Lunduke in the Linux space. Lunduke steadily became more of a free software and privacy fanatic, being offline most of the time. He eventually put his money where his mouth is and even erased his highly successful YouTube channel. He credits most of this to becoming a dad and having serious problems with the promotion of Google Docs at his kid's school. So along those lines, um, who do you think your personal... Who do you think your personal stance to that privacy could evolve in the future? How do you think? I think um, this listener means uh, disclosure. Of course, I know who Brian Lunduke is. Uh, famously had a bit of a row with him 
Um, so I used to do a podcast called uh, Linux Outlaws. He used to do a podcast with another guy called the Linux Action Show. And they decided to pick a fight. And my co-host my on Linux Outlaws was like, let's ignore them. They're picking a fight because we're better and we have more listeners and they want to leech off our listeners. Uh, he was probably right. Still, I kind of, um, being me having a temper, uh, I kind of did, did engage with Landuke a bit. Um, I personally, personally, it's my personal opinion, think, think he's an ass. <laughs> I also think uh, his highly successful YouTube channel, I mean, yeah, probably more successful than my YouTube channel, but not highly successful, you know. Dr. Disrespect has a highly successful YouTube channel. <laughs> that is, there's something different. But um, I know I, I, I know what he means. Um, I've seen this a lot in the Linux uh, space where people um, become more and more, um, for lack of a better term, because uh, this listener uses it, a fanatic. I've, I've somewhat gone into the other direction, um, which is a reason why I don't do a Linux show anymore. I don't actually think Linux is that important. I think privacy is more important, but I'm being, privacy, but I'm being very careful. Um, and I've said this in the very first episode of the show for this not to become like a, a fanatic show. And I don't think that's a, that's a problem because I'm certainly not that. I use um, all of these apps. I use you know, social networks. I and I, I, I think about that, and I want this to be a show from the that 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 is that can be helpful to anybody who's a normal user. Like, you know, I can do a privacy show and say Facebook is the devil and you should get off face, Facebook, and there's like a million shows like that, but they don't help you any, you know, because if you if you if you are like me, thirty eight years old. And uh, I mean, I live very close to my parents, but let's say you moved half a country away from your parents and they're on Facebook because they can't use anything else. Like what, what's your choice going like, oh, I can't use Facebook uh, because, and then you're not talking to your family anymore. Um, you know, it, it's just not realistic and I don't want to be like that. So I, I do things like I, I, um, I uninstalled Facebook from my phone because I thought, you know, of course they're tracking me and I was like, I don't get enough value out of this to, to justify that. Now, at some point, I started to get enough value out of Instagram, and now I have Instagram on my phone. And I have WhatsApp on my phone, so the, Facebook has that information. And I know that. Uh, and so it's like, it's an uphill battle, and I recognize that. And that's what I want to be the show about, uh, to be about. That's when we, I talk about the off-the-grid stuff, OTG. Um, I want realistic solutions. You know, I want people to tell me what they're doing, and this is basically what we're discussing here. Um, that is like realistic. It's to me not realistic to say, hey, I've removed Google out of my life completely. Like I read a story incidentally on Golem the other day of a Golem editor who's like, you know, Google, Google knows everything about you, but they don't know anything about me, but that, because I've completely removed them from my life for years now. And, you know, writing about not using Google search engines, I'm like, how can you be a journalist and not use Google? Like, how do you do research? I've tried, I literally, I tried, I tried to do, I try. I was like, I think I was still at Hazard at that time. I think I was going to write a CT story. I was going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use Bing exclusively. And I'm like, I, start, I was like, I'm going to start with using Bing for a week. It took me a day and a half. And I was like, I can't use this. I can literally cannot do my job. Right. So I was like researching something 
So if you don't know anything about the topic, you don't realize because you don't find anything and you're like, okay, there's nothing about that. But at the point where like, I know a lot about this topic and everybody who's a journalist does this, you know a lot about the topic, but you need to like, you're writing an article, you need to look it up again. You need to find the source that you know exists, you know what happened, you, you, you know this, but you need to find it again because you need to link it in your fucking news story. You use Bing and you just don't find the story. In some cases, I was searching for, you know, because... I mean, I think they fixed it now, but back in the day, the Heiser search was was horrible. And I, you know, if you look for my name on Heiser, you see that like, okay, actually, let's do this. I think they actually have a good search now. I, this, I, 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 I promise this. I'm I'm not doing this to humble brag, right? But this is literally uh, what I was faced with. So so I'm doing this a lot, as you can see. I'm searching my own name on Heiser, and this is probably not all the stories, but there's literally two thousand one hundred forty-two items because i wrote like several news items a day for several years right and so the the heiser search was famously wasn't able to pick out the story that i wanted so i had to google search with like site heiser site called heiser de to find my own story to reference it and i'm using bing and it can't find the story i can't find it i was i remember specifically for an hour trying to find this and i was like i'm not going to go to google i'm not going to go to google i'm not gonna. i had to go to google and I, I did one search and immediately found it so the guy in the golem story says that mostly that's because you can't search and it's like the queries at fault i know that was not the case bing was just shit the indexing was shit i don't know what i couldn't find my own fucking story like Anyway, I'm going to have to do that again. That was years ago. Maybe there's a way now. I mean, there's also like services like DuckDuckGo. I have issues with DuckDuckGo. I'm going to go into all of this. Promise. I'm going to do a story about this. But anyway, um, going back to the listener. Yes. Um, so my um, stance has certainly evolved. My stance involves all the time. And I've, um, for better or for worse, if I would say I've learned to... Uh, stop worrying and uh, embrace the bomb or love the bomb whatever what's that dr strange love thing um i don't want to sound defeatist but first you know we have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, yes surveillance capitalism here is here and it's here to stay and everybody's collecting data and it's not gonna get better and to be fair i've talked about this a lot over the last year we made this a lot worse with the whole COVID, SARS-CoV-2, that's, we have some feedback about that naming thing. I'm going to get to that at some point. Um, the, the, we made it work. It's getting worse and worse all the time. I'm not saying give up the fight. I think what you're doing is good. I think being cognizant of um, what you want to protect and why is realis- like is, is good, but be realistic, right? If you not If you're not using Windows because you don't want Microsoft to know certain things about you. The question is why? Why are you afraid of Microsoft? I mean, I don't like him either, but like, why are you afraid of Microsoft? You know, it's like it's like my ISP, that's probably different now with SSL, whatever, but you know, back in the day, my ISP knows what porn I, like, why do I, like, why do I care? You know? I'm, I, see, this is me. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out here right now. I like French-made porn. All right. I don't know why it's a thing. I like it. It's a kink. Don't kink shame. You know. Now you know. My SP knows. Google probably knows. Fucking Microsoft knows. Fab likes French porn. Put it on the billboard. I don't fucking. I don't give a damn. Right. And it's hard. It's it's important. I think to not go 
insane. Just don't like, so for example, this listener writes earlier in the email, um, my imp in interest in privacy was triggered by insane people on the internet doxing and harassing me, right? Right, I get that, right? If you're a normal person, I'm not worried about being doxed. I'm, it's probably gonna happen sometime. People will find out where I live. What, what are they gonna do, show up here? What they're gonna do? If they if they don't have an MMA, a good MMA background, right, and they're much better in jujitsu than me, they're gonna get their ass kicked if they turn up here, right? So what they're gonna do? I, I probably have the biggest knife in the room, right? What 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 are you gonna do? Bring a gun? Okay, well if you bring a gun, but like these are internet nerds, they're not gonna bring a gun. They don't have a gun unless we're talking uh, Eric as Raymond with his Glock. You know, <laughs> they're not going to have a gun. Like, I understand that if you're worried about, like, if you seriously have people following you and, like, fucking stalking you, and especially if you're a woman, this is probably a concern for a lot of people. Um, yeah, protect yourself against that. But, like, why are you not using Microsoft? Right? Microsoft's not telling these people where you live. Right? It's uh, what you should be worried about is the security of your online accounts. You should probably have two-factor authentication so that nobody can get in there and like, you know, if somebody's really after you and wants to, you know, spill your information, that that's the problem. And sometimes, like, you can't do anything. I'm a Twitch streamer. I'm probably in that Twitch league. They put that somewhere, you know where I live. You could probably find out where I live anyway. Um, you have to, like, and maybe if he's right, like you have to have like a, a understand what you're comfortable with. And then maybe the solution is not being on the internet. Like if you want to be fucking Brian Lunduke and just don't be on the internet and, and just, just play around with your goats all day. Right. You can do that. I can't do that. I, that's not what I do. It's just not my, literally not my job. Um, God Obelisk, first time chatter, uh, says uh, my, in, in Twitch chat, my aim is usually not to serve everything on a silver platter to a single company or institution. That's a good thing. I like that. That's good. Yeah, that's, a, that's good advice. I would second that. Um, try not to serve stuff on a silver platter to people. You know, then, and, and have a, just have like some common sense about it, right? Go like, okay, but maybe this is now worth it for me, right? If you, yeah, Facebook tracking you is shit and you get like shit ads and what, but like if you, or like I would never use TikTok, right? I fucking hate TikTok, but, and they're fucking like the Chinese communist party probably tracking you. But if you get like a lot of enjoyment out of TikTok, I have friends who would literally, they're like, they watch TikTok and they're laughing out loud. They're literally lolling. I mean, like, if that, like, that's a trade-off. If you get a lot of enjoyment out of it, maybe it's worth it. I don't know. Um, yeah, and Astro says Lan Duke is more of a GNU guy. Um, <laughs> he will have a wildebeest. No, I think he has good. But, like, you know, that's the same thing. Like, open source. People go, like, yeah, use open source. But, like, if you use an open source program by, like, one guy, if you lose, like, Linux Mint, and for the longest time it was, like, you know, literally basically one guy who had access to everything, he can fucking put, like, tracking software in his OS and spy on everybody. Not saying he did. Don't want slander in it. Is this, is this slander? I don't know. I'm not saying he did, but, you know, using open source doesn't make it better. Um, then your adversary, maybe he's not a company, but like some crazy guy. And some open source guys are pretty fucking crazy. Let's face it. I've interviewed a lot of them. Um, 
Anyway, let's finish this email. Um, our anonymous listener says, um, uh, one additional question. I was personally a Linux user too, but left it because I enjoyed games too much. I've not left Linux. I use Linux every fucking day. Um, I just do this on Windows, right? I do a lot on Windows, to be fair. It's also because it gives me uh, more fodder for rants and columns. Um, and upgrading for Mint became impossible at one point in 2015. A new handheld called the Steam Deck has been announced. Valve has promised that Proton, which runs Windows games on Linux, will be compatible with every Windows game before the end end of this year, including the anti-head cheat components, which have historically been a problem. So this is Linux question. Bonus Linux question. This could actually bring us to the year of the Linux desktop. Will 2022 be the year to return to Linux for privacy, but without giving up cool proprietary games? Okay. Before we go into Linux specifically, privacy. Um, Ubuntu did some shit for a while where they were like pretty heavily tracking people. It's not like you're on Linux. It's better. You know, there, there's company doing shit stuff there as well. <laughs> yeah, I still see this riser. I forgot him. Hans fucking riser, who fucking murdered his wife because she didn't like his uh, fire. No, that was not out. Well, but yeah, this and that. Uh, what do you, oh, God obviously says, what do you think of service like Proton? Well, that's actually another, people keep bringing topics up. It's another topic I've promised an episode on. We'll have to do um, privacy conscious email providers. I'm going to talk about that and stuff you can do, yeah. Um, I don't know about ProtonMail specifically, but I, I like using like small privacy conscious um, email providers. Um, I'm going to talk about who I use and stuff like that in that episode. Uh, but anyway, um, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, so Linux itself is not, it's not like, there are Linux companies who do shitty privacy stuff. Um, it's not in itself better. As for Steam, I would be careful about, you know, I'll do a little bit of gaming stuff on the side as well, I'll write about gaming stuff, and I would, I would be careful about wealth promising anything. First of all, Half-Life 3. Where the fuck is Half-Life 3? Remember the fucking controller? The fact that the controller was a disaster. They were going to do all this fucking hardware, the Proton, they were going to do all this stuff. Valve is not good at delivering on promises. When it comes to Valve, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, anything, Valve hasn't done anything. Like they did that one card game with Richard Garfield that fucking flopped. Um, the only thing they do is keep Steam alive and just print money, uh, basically, as far as I'm concerned. But could be. I don't think anything will be. I think the year of the Lynx desktop will not come. Um, and it's, I've, I've been resigned to this. And that's one of the reasons why I don't do a Linux show anymore. I used to be very, very idealistic when it comes to this. I used to think. And this is why I was doing Linux, Linux Outlaws. I used to think it's, I still think it's generally a better model to develop software. I think it was better for society. And I was young and, and, and naive, and I thought it was going to take over because of this. I'm now 38 years old. Uh, I have a lot of gray hair. Uh, I've covered a lot of mileage uh, in IT uh, journalism. And I've realized that um, just because something is better, it will not you know, take over. There's such a thing as momentum. Microsoft and Windows just have fucking momentum. It's like a, um, oh God, there's like in these Walter, Walter Merce stories, there's like there are these huge um, titans that are basically uh, like so big, their head is in space and they can actually take their head, head off, uh, their head off 
and leave that line somewhere and they'll just keep walking around. It's like that. It's like it's such a behemoth. Uh, if they were going to nuke it today and it was that, it would still continue walking for like 50 years. Um, I don't know if that will ever happen. The I see one way how Linux is going to take over the world, which is not that unrealistic, but which is going to defeat the purpose, which is Microsoft at some point is going to do a new OS. And I am I think it could have it could be Linux based. I mean, there there's, there have been rumors that they've been working on that for ages. They must have prototyped this. Um, yeah, they could develop their own kernel, but like, I mean, you if you do in US now, you probably base it on Linux. That could be a thing, but that would be like, um, kind of like you know, GitHub being like this rebel coding open source thing, and then get so- caught by bought by Microsoft, right? Is if, at that point, if the if if Linux takes over the world, but the Linux that's on ninety five percent of computers is being made by Microsoft, have we really won? Is that really better, right? Is it? Yeah, the development model is great, and you know we have certain we have freedoms of our software. But you know, like I I started this show, and I said so before. You know, on the last OCamp camp we had, I was on stage, and uh, at the end, this was kind of my thesis that I think we talked about Linux outlaws, and I was basically asked what like show would you do next, and I described this show, which I did eventually. Um, I thought like Linux is not the thing that like I, I thought privacy was the next frontier because um, it's more important. It doesn't really matter so much if you're running free software, if the free software has been made by um, by 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 huge companies, if all your data is in the cloud, and if they have access to it, and if they're now spying on you, right? I don't care if the company that runs all that is Microsoft or Red Hat. It is bad in itself that a company has all this data, right? And they get into behavior patterns, as we have seen today by a much smaller company. But like, you get these behavior patterns where they basically think, you know, they know better than everybody. They own everything, and they're really powerful. Like Google is, Google thinks they can do no wrong. They literally, literally, their motto used to be "Do no fucking evil." Like, <clears throat> meanwhile, there's fucking robots, like autonomous killer robots at the South Korean border that run Android or something. They literally run Google software. Uh, right? Like, it's like, does it really matter at that point? Um, so I think that's why that's why I kind of moved my focus towards not only privacy, but also like, you know, security is important because it's part of that. Like, you can't have privacy if you in a, in a digital world you can't have privacy if you don't have security if you don't have working cryptography and if you don't have laws where the state goes we recognize that people do have privacy i mean that's how it then goes if you log on the internet and you use any software is a different matter um but i i I believe even if we had the you know the day of the Linux desktop tomorrow and we all be running linux and apple was using linux and microsoft was using linux the world wouldn't change we still have like cloud software all the data is in the cloud i mean they're moving to a place where like you're not even the like okay we moved speaking of games this guy talks of games you probably maybe like games um we moved from a world where you bought a 
game on a physical medium and then the law set was yours to now where you basically buy like a license key in a in an online distribution platform and they can take that away anytime you want and we're moving to hey let's not have gaming hardware let's use google stadia and you can just subscribe and you have all your games in the cloud right we're moving away like who the fuck cares if i have the four freedoms in my operating system right if all my work is in the cloud if all my games are in the cloud all my entertainment is in the cloud everything is in the fucking cloud and every everybody's fucking spying on me all the time right it used to be hey you're at a company and your your employer can spy on you uh, because they put a camera over your desk now we're all using zoom and fucking zoom knows everything not only your employer fucking zoom knows everything uh, I sound too. I sound too defeatist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we probably get Linux with cool proprietary games, but like, is that is that really um, like? I don't know. I don't care about that anymore. Like, I don't fucking care if I run Windows now. Uh, I I care about running Windows because Microsoft is shit and can't do an operating system to help themselves, right? So I, I wrote a I write a column in like a newspaper and my my column for that was actually published yesterday um, was about Windows 11. Like I've I've installed I've got, I'm running Windows 10 right and I'm open Windows Update and it says oh your PC is not ready for Windows 11 and could like first of all why the fuck do I care I don't want Windows 11 secondly why is it not ready I have 32 gigabytes of RAM I have a Ryzen 5 high end processor a new motherboard. I got terabytes of SSD space. Okay, my GTX 980 is old. Yes, but that I, I would have had a new one if they didn't cost an arm and a leg. And I'm probably gonna have to save up money and buy one pretty soon, but like, why? And then it's like, they obviously know, I think people told me now it's probably a TPM. I probably did something and disabled my TPM when I installed this because I'm an idiot when I installed this motherboard. Uh, but like they obviously know why don't they tell me like why this this window knows and they, they're like you need to install this app and then it will tell you why are you not telling me now what the fuck's going also install this fucking app it's gonna keep nagging me to like do whatever to get windows 11 i don't fucking want windows 11. but the point is that's not only microsoft shall i remind you in the days so for people who don't know me that long i used to do a podcast called links outlaws we produced this um i started it at a time when i was uh, exclusively using using Linux, and we're talking 2007 is when we started, and we produced this only only with free software on Linux, which at the time was a minor miracle to get like your fucking and we had good audio quality. We're like I I did this with a with an audio engineer, and he was like this needs to sound good, and we're like fucking trying to get our USB things to work, and we got it all to work, got it all like also jacked up the wazoo. Right, and then this very nice guy, Leonard Pottering, comes along and goes, "Oh, let's fuck this all up and let's introduce a new audio system." And we were using Ubuntu at the time, and Ubuntu goes, "Yeah, let's use that." Or I think maybe Dan was using Fedora. I don't know, but Fedora was like, "Yeah, new software, let's start." Nothing fucking worked for for like two years. Everything didn't fucking work. Now, audio on Linux is probably easier than on Windows. 
because on Linux at least you you have like I've I've got like three USB audio interfaces right now connected to this computer. If I use it on Linux, it remembers the ID, and you know if I go in my in my audio software and and assign the uh, the the software like the the audio interface to tracks, it remembers that because the ID doesn't change. In Windows, every time the fucking computer boots up, it fucking randomizes the IDs so all the interface gets switched around. Now, I have software, like I'm using a proprietary podcast producing software called, uh, by a Danish company, it's called Hindenburg. Yes, it's named after the German airship that exploded. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but it does that. It remembers... Uh, what like what audio interfaces were, but that's not a Windows function. That they fucking coded that, they hard coded that in. So I don't know why it's when like any operating system is shit, really. Oh god. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the show. I'm just like everything's shit. All companies are shit. Uh, yeah, this is this is what happens if I start with a story where uh, you know they wanna they wanna get some guy in jail and instead of just uh, just you know just apologizing because they're shit anyway let's wrap up the show let's talk about how you can keep it on the air and let's get more spätburgunder um for all the wine concerts. I was thinking, I was going to talk about the value for value model pioneered by Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak of the No Agenda show. And then I remembered, you know, John is a, is a wine aficionado. Um, I, I have no idea. I, I mean, Burgunder is Burgundy. I have no idea what, what Spätburgunder is. Oh God, this is not Wikipedia. Come on. Ah, Pinot Noir. Of course it's Pinot Noir. It's just, just called it Pinot Noir. I thought... Of course, of course, uh, you use the French name. Yeah, some uh, lovely Pinot Noir from the Palatin. Um, yeah, so th they pioneered this, you know, it's basically pay what you want. Um, you're like, you get this for free, and if it provides any value to you, then, you know, you can give some of it back. Uh, you can do that, which uh, I prefer, if you become a patron. Uh, on Patreon, there's a link, Private Citizen Press, all links are in there. You can send over one, send me a one-off payment uh, via PayPal. Uh, email address is producers at fab.industries. Producers at fab.industries. And yeah, and also you can subscribe on Twitch, uh, which a lot of people are doing. Um, which, you know, some of the people are not doing it because of the podcast. I also stream games and stuff. Um, but, you know. You can do that for free if you have an Amazon Prime account, so that's cool. Let me give credit to all of the people who've done this for the show, who've made it possible, um, and who've supported my uh, valiant efforts at bringing you the truth. <laughs> Sound like Glenn Greenwald. Um, so, thanks to Georges, Steve Hose, Butterbeans, Jonathan M. Heavy, Michael Mullen Jensen, Dave Michael Small, 1i11G, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Jackie Plage, Philip Klostermann, Vlad IKN, Bennett Piata, Kaisius, Tobias, Fadi Mansur, Rodain the Insane, Joe Poser, Dirk Didi, I imagine that's how he talks, uh, Dirk Didi, Mode 7, Moshi, Sandman 616, David Potter, Mika, Rizal, Martin, Avis, Mr. Amish, Dave Amrish, Drive Zero, Ricky M, Cam, Barry Williams, Jonathan, Captain Aghat, RJ Tracy, Rick Brack, D, Robert Forster, Super User, No Reply, and Astro C. And many of these people have been around since very early in the show. 
uh, which is it's coming up to its second birthday early next year um you know very 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 is that too many varies no very loyal listeners um which i uh think is great and a lot of these people saw me twice because they also do so on Twitch, which is even better. So uh, thanks to my Twitch subscribers, Mike, the, Mike underscore the Dane, Jonathan MH underscore com, Sandman616, Centurio a purchase, Bacon the Pork, Mode 7 underscore is underscore unavailable, L underscore Terrestris underscore Jim, I'm reading out the underscores today, Galteran and Redeemer F. Thanks to all of you. Also, Quick mention, thanks to ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk, which is a British hosting company. And ever since Linux Outlaws, which we've talked about a lot today, um, they have been providing a server, uh, two servers, uh, that the audio files reside on, that I um, use for free, and which I couldn't do the show without. So thanks to ByteMark. ByteMark and Fab Industries, a... um, uh, a great collaboration and a proof that uh, post-Brexit uh, European-British collaboration works. God save the Queen. Um, and with that, I'm signing off. Um, and I'm going to play you out with a song called Don't Want to Be Dead Anymore by Coma Swenson and Van Syke, which you can find on Epidemic Sound. Uh, quick mention also to Raoul. Raoul Kabzali, uh, who did the song Acoustic Roots, which I use as a theme to this podcast, which I also like. But uh, now I'm going to play you out, and I say that, and I don't have my audio player ready. That's that's not good. <laughs> I'm going to play you out with Don't Want to Be Dead Anymore by Combo Swenson and Van Psyche. See you soon. And uh, aim to misbehave, especially if you run into people like Modern Solution. <laughs>